verses, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 and two, through 2. But it came to pass that when Sambalat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, watch closely the terminology here. God didn't put words in the Bible just to fill up pages. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Let's read verse 1 again. But it came to pass that when Sambalat heard that we had builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Let's pray and then you may be seated. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight totally dependent upon you. I know that you've given me some gifts, but I'm not even dependent upon those gifts. I'm dependent upon you. And so, Father, I pray that you would breathe upon your word with a breath from heaven, that you would ignite it with the fires of the Holy Ghost, and that you would use your servant tonight, number one, to glorify you, and number two, to help your people. Bless now the reading of your word. Bless now the preaching of your word. I know that needs will be satisfied because you said in your word that your word never returns void. And so, Father, as I sent it out by the blessed Holy Spirit and the unction of the Holy Ghost, I pray, Lord, that needs will be met. Father, I won't list the needs in this prayer. You know what they are. But, Father, if there's lost here tonight who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, I pray that tonight is the night they receive Jesus. I think about the hurting and the discouraged. I really don't believe, Father, that the preachers preached until he's helped God's people. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage your people tonight. And then, Father, if there's someone here that's grown cold, indifferent, it's just not like it used to be. They come to church, but they're just going through the motions. Maybe they're not in a backslidden condition, but maybe they are. I pray, Lord, that you would draw them unto yourself with cords of love. We want to give you the praise, the glory and honor. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. And you may be seated. In order for you to appreciate this message and to understand where we are contextually, uh, the background of where we're at is that Nehemiah, Israel, is bab in Babylonian captivity because of their sin. I want you to read with me uh, chapter 1, and we're going to read nine verses there in Nehemiah chapter 1, because you will not appreciate what we read in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, until you understand what's going on. Number, verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 1, and I'll destroy these Hebrew names, but bear with me. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, and it came to pass in the month Cheslu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, and he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that escaped. Now, keep in mind, Nehemiah is in Babylon, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. Watch now. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, 
and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night. For the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins, watch now, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me, and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from hence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name. Nehemiah there is describing the condition in which they are now living. They have experienced Babylonian captivity because of their sin. This Babylonian captivity was prophesied by Daniel and by Jeremiah. Matter of fact, Daniel chapter 9 verse 2 says this, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, would you bear with me just for a moment, because I've already told you uh, that this is the greatest nation in all the world. I'm a patriot. It doesn't get any better than the U.S. of A. and all its imperfection. There's a great similarity with the United States of America and the churches, what's going on here with Nehemiah. We have disobeyed. We have failed God. And we're seeing... Uh, the result of it in our nation, in our world. We can complain about lost people all day long, but you know what? Lost people do what lost people do. And it doesn't surprise me what the lost do. Here's what surprises me. What the people of God do or what they don't do. And so there's a similarity here. Uh, we attribute this statement to sometimes Billy Graham, and we attribute this statement to sometimes to Jerry Falwell. But the truth of the matter, it was Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, who said this statement. If God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. I don't want to see America judged. I don't want to see us to go through a persecution. I, I don't want us to see us go through a tribulation. But if you can read the writings on the wall... Help me, church. Amen. There are things coming down the pike. You say, preacher, this is a missions conference. Don't worry, we'll get there. Amen. There's a great similarity between the Jews in, in Nehemiah's day and the church today. But when we look at Nehemiah chapter 4, and specifically verses 1 and 2, we see that the Jews have some specific enemies who are named here. Don't forget the title of the message. We don't put titles on the messages just to be cute. They're handles to help you to carry the word of God out of here when you go. And we see here about Sanballat. He's an enemy of God's people. And we have an enemy. There's an enemy of our mission as there was an enemy of Nehemiah's day. 
That enemy is none other than Satan himself. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's why Paul said to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, watch now, and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is an enemy who absolutely despises, Pastor Pete, that you have surpassed the $1 million mark in missions. He hates it. And he has put Cleveland Baptist Church, its leadership, Every missionary that is a part of this church, every missionary that's in this conference, he has put them in a bullseye. Help me. And the Bible teaches we're not to be ignorant of the devices of the devil. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his, of his devices. These powers and principalities are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Watch now, they hate God, they hate God's Son, they hate God's scriptures, they hate God's saints, and they hate God's, uh, God's people. The enemy hates, and the enemy tries to cause us to doubt who we are and what God has called us to do. He tried because doubt was the very first temptation, was it not? Yea, has God said? Satan said to Eve, my greatest temptation is the fear of failing God. Now, I know that fear is wrong. Perfect love casteth out all fear. And maybe because of my lack of academics, I don't know what it is, but I have a fear of failing God. It makes me try to stay on top of things more diligently. Doubt the original sin the temptation that was caused by the enemy to cause us to compromise our convictions and to do what we know is right. For he is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ. For the accuser, the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Listen how often he accuses you, which accused them before our God day and night. What I want to show to you from Nehemiah chapter 4 is four, five accusations of the enemy. Five accusations against you, five accusations against me, five accusations against those who are living for the Lord. Five finger-pointing accusations from those who are opposed. We see that the enemy is very angry. That's what it says in verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sambalat heard that we builded the wall, he was what? Wroth. And took how much indignation? Great indignation. And he mocked the Jews. Satan wants to mock you and I. And I want to go straight to those five accusations and we'll find them in verse 2. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? There's a question mark. Do you see it? Say amen. amen. Satan there is accusing us of being feeble. 
that Satan's accusation of us being weak, and many times we are weak, many times we are tired, many times we are wore out, many times we feel like quitting or passing the baton, and we should pass the baton, of course we can. But many times, and Pastor Kevin Folger will reiterate this, we preach in churches that have a sea of white heads, don't we, Pastor? These are the saints of God. They built these buildings. They've given to Faith Promise Missions Giving since 1970 here at Cleveland Baptist. And every place we go, and you know what? They're tired. They're still faithful. They're still in church. They're still giving. They serve when they can as their strength and ability allows them to do. And they're looking to pass the baton. And there's nothing wrong with that. If there's someone to pass the baton to. You say, well, what do you want them to do, preacher? Go win somebody to Christ, disciple them, train them, and pass the baton. That'll work. It is the enemy of us accusing us that we're going to wear out before we get the job done. Now, I, have, I get tired physically. Pastor Kevin will tell you the road is not, a it's not an easy place. Some people say, where do you live, Brother Stevens? Out of the trunk of my car or somebody else's car. And I get tired physically. I get tired mentally. And I hate to admit this one, but sometimes I get tired spiritually. When you give, 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 you have to be careful. And I know Brother Reynolds would echo that statement. You say, what do you do, preacher? Well, I know what to do with a tired body. I had a two-hour nap this afternoon. <laughs> you rest. And you know what I do? I know what to do with a tired mind. Sometimes you need some amusement. You know what that means? Ah means nothing. Muse means to think. Sometimes I just like to shut it off. And you know how I shut it off? I go fishing. <laughs> you don't have to do a lot of thinking. Matter of fact, the fish makes the decision of whether he's going to take your bait or not. What do you do with a tired spirit, Brother Stevens? Sometimes I get down on the floor... And I go through the four Gospels, and especially the last chapters of the four Gospels. You know where I go? I go to the cross. I go to Calvary. And I reignite my spirit. I had to do it yesterday, preacher. I had to reignite my spirit. I put some of my favorite Christian songs on my telephone and, and I got down and I got into God's word and I began to pray and I reignited my spirit because I knew that the devil was going to fight us here. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to do what we're doing. And I know that there's a war raging. Watch now, church. If you don't know that there's a war raging, then you're either blind or completely ignorant. There's a war that's raging. What do we do, Brother Stevens? Well, Matthew 5.25 says that we're supposed to agree with thine adversary quickly. Sometimes we have to admit that we're weak. And when we admit our weakness, watch church, that's when God's strength kicks in. Chapter and verse, preacher, I'm glad you asked. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul has prayed to be delivered from a thorn in his flesh. You, I, I think it was his vision, but you may have other thoughts. And Paul prayed three times for the thorn of the flesh to be taken away from God says, no. And here's what God said to him. My grace is sufficient for thee. Watch now, church. For my strength 
is made perfect in weakness. Here's the apostle Paul's response. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me when I admit my weakness, I get out of God's way, I allow the Holy Spirit and God to kick in and do things that I cannot do, and when it's all said and done, I can't say, boy. I can't pat myself on the back, but what do I say? Thank you, Jesus, praise you, Lord. And he gets all the glory. There's a poem. It's called, Don't Quit. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile, but you have to sigh. When care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a fellow turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with just another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night came down how close he was. To the golden crown. Success is failure. Turned inside out. It's the silver tint in the clouds of doubt. And you can never tell how close you are. It might be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight. When your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse. That you must not quit. So sometimes we're weak, and that's the accusation of the enemy. But I want you to see the second accusation in verse 2. Here's retreated again. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, watch now, will they fortify themselves? It's a question. You see it? Help me, church. It's a question. Will they fortify themselves? And that's the accusation of us not being able to fortify Accusing us of not being able to withstand the attack of the enemy. And we will be under attack for doing God's will and for doing God's work. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I hate to be a doomsday preacher, uh, but folks, persecution is coming down the pike. We didn't know, the preachers didn't know what was coming, but we knew something was coming because something had to come to wake up the sleeping beauty of the church. And I'm not sure she's up, Pastor Kevin. Maybe she needs the kiss of her prince to awaken her out of her slumber and out of her sleep. Will we fortify? Accusing us of not being able to withstand the attack. And we will be under attack. Therefore, watch church now, we must fortify. That Webster's definition of fortify is to strengthen by forts. What did Nehemiah do? First thing he did, he built the walls. Didn't rebuild the temple. Didn't even build homes. Didn't even bring the inhabitants back into the holy city. He built walls. Why? Because he knew there was a Sambalat. Help me, church. Amen. To build walls. Pastor Pete, I remember a day in the Independent Fund about this movement. It wasn't that long ago. When we used to stand behind God's sacred desk, we used to preach standards. We used to preach about the home. We don't do it anymore. Or don't do it as much as we should. 
We need to build the forts. And our independent Baptist churches and families are being infiltrated. Nehemiah built the wall first. Nehemiah chapter 2, you're there. Might as well see it. Verse 17. Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in? That would be an appropriate question for today, wouldn't it? Then I said unto them, you see the distress that we are in? Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. We need to build the walls. He built the walls for protection from the enemy. He was prepared for battle. Why he built the walls? Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 17. That they which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with, with, with with, of his hands, wrought in the work, and the other held a weapon. You know what our weapon is? The word of God. Amen. The church is to be busy in building the wall at home, and the missionary battles with his weapon on the foreign field. And so far we've seen an accusation of feebleness, weakness. That's when God's strength kicks in when we admit it. So far, we've seen the aggravation of not being able to fortify, but I want you to see a third accusation in the fourth chapter and the second verse. Watch again. He spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Watch this accusation. Will they sacrifice? To sacrifice, it takes faith. So I entitled this point that is the accusation of us being faithless. I heard this phrase. Sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something that you love much more. Amen. Somebody sacrificed last night or today. Somebody went to their bank and took out $50,000 and said that I have something I love more than my bank account. Amen. There's something that I love more than my money. There's something that I love that I'm willing to sacrifice to give of mine what belongs to me because I am in love with the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. Maybe that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Especially Pastor Peter Faith Promise Conference. How much do we really love Jesus? Apostle Paul said he was constrained by the love of Christ. You know what that means? He was completely overwhelmed by the love of Jesus. Remember when you first got saved? You were so in love with Jesus, a big old pocket full of tracks. You took that white family Bible, the one with the genealogies, and walking down the street telling people about Jesus. And things happened. Disappointment, heartache, so-called unanswered prayer. I say so-called unanswered prayer because no is an answer. Quiet in here. And before you know it, there wasn't any more tracks. Before you know it, the Bible got smaller. And before you know it, there is no Bible. Love will cause you to do unusual things. When I was in the carnival business, and especially when I was a kid, uh, I used to roam the midways because I didn't work. So I just roamed the midways. The guy who owned the penny arcade, which wasn't a penny, uh, would give me a handful of change, Pastor. Because he knew I'd put it back in the machines. So that's where I hung around, the Penny Arcade. And so when I got rid of all the money, the, there was just one coin left. On the way out of the Penny Arcade, there was a, it really wasn't a game, it was called the Lovometer. And uh, it had a big screen on it, and at the, there was a thermometer. At the bottom of the thermometer was cold, at the top of the thermometer was, was hot. 
And you put the coin in and you squeeze the handle and it will tell you how passionate of a person you are. Well, it really didn't work. And so you squeeze the handle and sometimes you still be in the cold. You put another quarter in or whatever it was and it'd go up and you'd be hot. Maybe we need a, a church level meter. It would be determined by your tithe and by your missions giving. The accusation of us being faithless. Do you ever consider the sacrifice that a missionary uh, does to, to leave the greatest nation on planet Earth to go to a foreign country where as much as they try to assimilate into the society without giving up their convictions are always a stranger and a foreigner? When I lived in Hungary and Romania for 12 years and we would walk down the street with our gypsy brothers who were saved, some serving the Lord, i say, why is everybody staring at me? I'm not dressed different than everybody else. And they say, Brother Stevens, they know you're not from here. As much as they try to fit in without compromising convictions. You say, well, what about, what about the families that are left behind? What about the moms and dads that the missionaries left behind and the grandchildren? That they leave behind. I, Dolly and I were foolish enough to think that it would be easier to go to the foreign field uh, when your kids are out of the home. We forgot about that other generation called the grandkids. The sacrifice that we do for missions. Do you know the Bible says that cups of cold water given in the name of a disciple will not lose its reward? Brother Richard Anderson came to me Last night and said, Brother Stevens, there's going to be some water for you right over there on the organ. You know he's got a reward for that? What would God do with tithing and faith promise? We talked about the reward system last night. The missionary goes by faith. We give by faith. We gather by faith. The Bible says that we're supposed to live by faith. Hebrews 10, 38, now the just shall live by faith. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith. Watch now. We please God by faith. Hebrews eleven six. 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. And did you know that the lack of faith is sin? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 14, that which is not of faith is sin. What do we do with sin? We confess it. Satan despises when God's people live by faith. Satan despises when we fill out the faith promise missions giving card. And you will do it by faith. He hates missions conference. He accuses us of being weak in faith. Well, what do we do, preacher? We do what the apostles did in Luke chapter 17, verse 5. They said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Maybe tonight you need to line these altars and say, Lord, my faith needs to be increased. I want you to look at the fourth accusation in verse 2. Let's read it again. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Syria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Now watch this phrase. Will they make an end in a day? Here's the accusation. Will they finish? Nobody's going to ask how you got started. That's not the legacy we're going to live, how we got started. The legacy we leave is the last legacy, and that's finishing. Amen. People won't say, how did Brother Stephen start? 
They can read my biography to find that out. How did he finish? How will we finish? Will we complete the job before the undertaker or before the upper taker? Our legacy will not be remembered by how we started, but how we finished. Matter of fact, my son Michael, who's an assistant pastor in Florida, when he finally read my autobiography, he said to me, thanks, Dad. I said, why, Mike? He says, there's a lot of stuff about your life I didn't know. And now we have a lasting written document that we can be passed on to our children and our grandchildren. That's exactly why Ben Franklin wrote his autobiography, to leave a legacy. Will we complete the job? Will we accomplish the task? Will we fulfill our call that has never rescinded? Because Romans eleven twenty nine says, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And we can finish because Christ finished his job on the cross of Calvary when he cried and he said, It is finished. Nothing to add. Accomplished task. We can finish because of Christ's presence. God's presence with us. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Watch what God says to Joshua. He's filling Moses' sandals. It's a big pair to fill. And watch what God says to Joshua. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and have a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Listen to me, church. We can finish because we have the presence of Christ. Did he not say in the midst of the great commission, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, these precious families that are going to foreign fields have the promise of the presence of Christ, whether they're in a foreign land, whether they're strangers, whether they're with people who never will accept them. Watch now. They have the presence of Christ, and they go with the confidence that Emmanuel, God with us, will be with them. And the missionary said, we could finish because he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We can finish because of his performance. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. We can finish because of his presentation. Jude in the 24th verse, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Watch now, we can finish because of his power. All power is given unto me and in heaven and earth, Jesus said in the Great Commission. We can finish because of the examples of those who finished before us. This isn't in the outline, Pastor Pete, but I'm standing where Dr. Roy Thompson preached. That's a big deal. Man, he finished well. I'm so glad I was in the States for his home going. Dolly was getting treatments at Cleveland Clinic and we happened to be here. What a celebration of life. And you know what his testimony was? When God saved Roy Thompson, he didn't get a whole lot. And yet here we are. What a legacy. We can finish because of the examples of others. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassionate about some great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does only beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Watch out, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
And like the Apostle Paul who said in 2 Timothy 4, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, I have fought a good fight. Watch now. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day only. Now watch now, church. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Will you finish well? We have already heard the age of our dear brother, Brother Reynolds. Worked alongside Curtis Hudson. What a testimony. And I know he's got many years left, but you know what he's trying to do? Finish well. Will you finish? And then here's the final accusation. You'll find it at the very end of verse 2. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? That's the accusation of us being fruitless. Not being able to revive those who are dead in their trespasses. The screen. It's the question of will we bring life from death. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you as he quickened, King James' word being made alive, who were dead in trespasses. says all of us in this room who are now saved were once dead in our trespasses. But he quickened us. He made us alive. He regenerated us with the new birth we have now. The divine genes of God. Watch now. He says that we're partakers of the divine nature. You wrap your theological minds around that one. Partakers of the divine nature. Will we turn them into lively stones? Watch what Peter says. Chapter 2, verse 5. Ye also, as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God by Jesus Christ. We reached them out of the trash heaps of the world. We reached them from the gutter of sin and degradation. Most of you in this room know my testimony. Raised in a gypsy home as a gypsy con man. If I performed the con, my parents would reward me. If I didn't perform the con, my parents would reprimand me. That'll confuse a 10-year-old boy. My late wife, Dolly, a fortune teller. But by the grace of God, he reached down into the gutter of this world, sent me a gospel witness that said three words, Brother Walter, you need Jesus. But it came from the mouth of a person who was living their life like they knew Jesus. He was a living testimony. And you may say, oh, Brother Stevens, God really had to reach down in the gutter of this world to save your wretched So May I remind you, church, that we all come from the same gutter. It's called planet Earth, and it didn't take holier blood or a taller cross to save me than it did save you. You see, in God's economy, there's no such thing as big sin and little sin. It's all big sin. Hello. That's why James says in James chapter 2, verse 10, if you offend in one area of the law, you're guilty of it all. Maybe you're here tonight and you're lost in your sins. Yeah, I'm not that big of a sinner. Watch now. Your sins crucified the Son of God. Will we be fruitless? Will we deliver those souls from the, this old decaying world? Will we bear fruit for Christ? Jesus said in John 15, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Missions conference is about bearing fruit for the glory of Jesus Christ. 
It's about, we do it here at home, but it's about doing it around the world simultaneously. According to Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but after this you shall receive power and the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses. Watch now, one word, four letters, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem is home. Judea is the nation. Samaria is Canada. Canada, the neighboring nation. Now, you know when Jesus said to the Jews that they're supposed to be witnesses to Samaria, that was an insult to them. They hated Samaria. When you think about reaching the world with the gospel, it's only come to the gypsy people about 40 years ago. My mom was the fortune teller in Bellefontaine, Ohio. We lived on an elevation at 1018 South Main Street. It was Route 68, the main route through town. On that elevation was a white sign with big red letters that said, Reader and Advisor. A town of 10,000 people. Everybody knew where the gypsy fortune teller lived. Everybody. They passed by it every day. Do you think anybody knocked on our door to tell us about Jesus? Not a soul. We'd go out to eat on Sunday afternoons. I'd see little boys in vests and bow ties. I'd see little girls in white frilly dresses. I'd say, well, what's going on in Belfountain, Ohio that we don't know about? Little did I know that they were coming out of churches. How many do we pass by? How many do we hesitate to take the gospel to? Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Yes, we can bear fruit if we abide in Christ. John 15, 4, Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except ye abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in the vine. We can reach the world for Christ if we follow his plan of missions. That's what's being presented to you this week. It's not Pastor Pete's plan. It's not Pastor Kevin's plan. It's not Roy Thompson's plan. It's the plan that comes from the very heart and bosom of God. And we saw that last night in Philippians chapter 4. God has an enemy. He is your enemy if you're a friend of God. He is opposed to God and he's opposed to you if you are for God. He hates God and he hates you if you love God. He hates the church, missionaries and preachers. He hates soul winning. He hates praying. He hates the study of the word of God. He hates our giving to God and he hates this faith promise card. But we oppose the accuser who accuses us in the name of Jesus because this is what Jude says in the ninth verse of his book. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. We come against him in the name of Jesus. And we will survive his attack if we resist him in Jesus' name. James says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. But let me pose a few questions here tonight before I close. Are you a threat to the devil? Are you rattling the devil's cage? you think a million dollars of missions giving rattles the devil's cage? Hello? By the way, that million dollars is made up of nickels, dimes, quarters. It wasn't all gifts of 50,000. Help me, Pastor Pete. Are you rattling the devil's cage? This will rattle the devil's cage. 
This is a message I preach. I think I preached it here once. It's called Great Joy in the City. It comes from Acts chapter 8, when Philip went and preached to Samaria. The 8 verse says, and there was great joy in that city. But before you get to verse 8, verse 7 says that the demons were cast out, and then great joy came to the city. So you've got to take Satan out of the equation before there can be great joy. Amen. You know what we've done in America? We haven't taken Satan out of the equation. We put him into the equation. Hello. You say, how do I rattle the devil's cage? How do I become a threat to the devil? Well, it's your prayer life. It's your study of the word of God. It's your faithfulness to church. It's your soul winning. It's your giving. That's how you rattle the devil's cage. There's a story in Acts chapter 19 about the sons of Sceva who decide that they're going to cast out demons. And so when they get to the demon possessed, they say this, I cast you out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Now, here's the mind of a demon. You want to get in the mind of a demon? Watch what they say. Jesus we know. Paul we know. But who are you? You see, they were casting out demons without the authority to cast out demons. And then the Bible says the demons leaped on them. Now here's the question for you, church, tonight. Does Satan know your name? Because if he knows your name, you are a threat to him, and you are a threat to his devices. Watch now. Jesus I know. Paul I know. Well, it's understandable that the demons knew who Jesus was. He created them. He didn't create them fallen, but he created them. They're fallen angels, right, Pastor? But watch now. Here's the mind of a demon. Jesus I know. Paul? On the same level as Jesus? Made it the same stuff we are. He wasn't an angel from heaven, was he? But in the mind of the demonic world, those who are a threat to him, to the devil and his demons, are on the same level of Jesus. Because they're a threat. Are you a threat? I work with gypsies. <laughs> Help me, Bob. Say amen. amen. I, I have to be a threat to the devil. Does the demonic world know your name? I, I read a bookmarker that said this. Live your life in such a way that when you get up in the morning and your feet hit the ground, Satan shudders and says, oh no, he's awake. Wow. What the God that would describe, describe my life? Amen. Amen. Well, no Sunday night, won't we, Pastor Pete? When we count the faith promise, when we collect the faith promise, We'll know Sunday night whether we're rattling the devil's cage. You know, Jesus said, in order for us to spoil Satan's house, we have to bind him. We underestimate the authority that God has given to the local church. Did not Jesus say what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, what you set free on earth will be set free in heaven? So we have the authority. Bible, God says in Ezekiel, he says, all souls are mine. And the Calvinist says, well, let's go home. But some of God's souls have been kidnapped. Hello. That's why these missionaries are going to Canada and Zimbabwe. They're going to get the kidnapped souls that the hostage taker has taken. You say, preacher, who do you go to? The hostage taker or the hostage? I go to the hostage. And what do you tell them, preacher? I say, if the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And Pastor Pete and Pastor Kevin have seen my gypsies in Eastern Europe and been set free from the bondage of Satan. They're witnesses, and others in this room are witnesses. 
will you be a threat to the devil? Let me close with this illustration. I was an assistant pastor in southwest Ohio for five years. I, we lived in the church parsonage, and uh, it was uh, summertime. We didn't have air conditioning, but we had the windows open in the house. And unbeknownst to me, uh, the screen in my girls' bedroom had fallen, so their, their window was completely open. Now, uh, there isn't much, I'm not trying to be macho here, but there isn't much I'm afraid of. Matter of fact, people are afraid of snakes, don't bother me. Uh, spiders, don't bother me. Matter of fact, when I see a spider hanging down, I'll grab him by whatever he's using for his web, and I'll play with him. You know, they'll crawl up, and then I'll just keep pulling just to play with him. I don't want to kill him, though, in case there's some spider lovers in here. I doubt if there's many. And so, uh, but there's two things that just, I lose Whatever sanity I have, I lose, and that's rats and bats. Now, I think my sister Liz will give the testimony. My job as a kid was to empty the rat traps, and it scarred me. I probably should get some therapy. And I remember one time, Pastor Pete, we caught a rat in the trap in the kitchen. We heard it go off. I went back, and he wasn't dead yet. Or his involuntary motion, I don't know, but that trap was just going all over the kitchen floor. <laughs> I freaked out. I can freak out right now. But. And, and bats the same way. I, I, I guess they're the same family. I don't know. But that night, it was a summer night. Uh, we're in our bedroom. My girls are in their bedroom. I don't know what time it was. It was 11, 11.30. We were just turning lights out. And I heard Tiffany and Annie my daughter's screaming from the bedroom. Their light was on, and they were screaming. He said, Dad, you know, here's this girl screaming. What's he going to do? Run to their aid, right? So I opened the door, and there's something flying in their room. And I said, oh, it's got to be a bird. I was hoping it was a bird. But the flight pattern was too perfect. Brother Tom in a perfect circle. Round and round. Brother Ron, not too high, not too low. Perfect circle. Round and round. My skin is crawling. I said, that's not a bird. That's not a bat. That's a bat. And so, you know, they say they get in your hair, you know. So I pulled my robe over my head. And I said, you know what? My girls are watching me. And whether I'm afraid or not, I can't let them know that I'm afraid. So I became heroic, you know. I'm going to save my girls. So I put my Batman outfit on. And I get the trusty bat weapon. Thank you. Broom. So I walk in the room, robe over my head. He's flying. They're under the blanket, still screaming, shaking, I think. And, and I take one swing, one swing with the bat, just one. And I knocked that guy right to the bed. One swing. But then he does one of these numbers. One of his wings pops out one side of the broom. He was a big guy. I don't think it was on the complete other side of the broom, but maybe the top edge. And the other wing comes out. And then he starts beeping. Beeping. Now, did you ever get so Christian that you don't want, don't want to kill one of God's creatures? So I was hoping that I could just shoo him out the open window. But I thought, no, this guy's not going to give up so easy. So I began to apply pressure 
on the end of the broom. And I could feel his bones crunching. I love to watch the lady's eyes when I tell this story. And the beeping got slower and slower and slower. And finally he pulled his wings in and I got him out of the house, dead. Now here's, here's why we don't like these things in our house. They weren't invited. You don't invite the bat in your house or the rat, do you? They're intruders. They creep in. They look for an open door, an open window. Sound familiar? That's why the Bible says, give no place to the devil. I was, I was a door-to-door salesman. You know what the, the first thing they teach you is? Put your foot right at the door when they open it. Because once you got your foot at the door, they can't shut the door. So the next thing you know, you're in. Satan wants to get a door into your home, a foot into your home. Hello? You know what we've done in America? We've not only opened the door, we've given him a chair, made him comfortable. He's too comfortable. He's too comfortable in our churches. He's too comfortable in your home. We don't like rats and bats and foreign intruders because they've come in uninvited. Watch now. He looks for the open door. He looks for the open window. He looks for a place, and he comes in. And you know what? We need to be serious about it. We need to be serious that there's an enemy. And that we have all that we need to be victorious against this enemy. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. I call it God's 44s. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Church, you can get the victory. If you've already been infiltrated, you can still get the victory. Resist the devil and he will flee. There's an opposition to the mission. And here's what we need tonight. We need God's people flooding this altar. Flooding this altar saying, yes, I'm feeble, yes, I'm weak. Yes, I'm lacking in faith. Yes, I have not fortified or I need to fortify. Yes, I need to bear fruit for the glory of God. We need to be on our knees because Satan hates a praying church. And I hope that you'll come tonight and be in opposition to him.